What's going on, everybody? My name is Matt Martin. I'm with Carbon Earth, and uh, thank you for having me here. It's, it really means a lot to be able to come speak, and especially to such a large group of people about something that has uh, really taken over, you know, what what we do, and uh, and uh, give you the opportunity to teach you exactly what is Carbon Earth to us. So. You know, real simple, you know, there's a couple things I want to cover, you know, a little bit about who we are, talk about some biochar, talk about our process of co-composting biochar with the poultry manure, there's some interesting things start to happen there, what we call CRAP technology, the CRRP technology is our branding, and we're going to talk a little bit about what we hear from customers, and then we are also going to talk about uh, you know, product defense, right? So compared to other products that are out on the market, plus at the same time, uh, we'll do some real world, you know, real life uh, transactions, so to speak, uh, between you being the customer and myself being the salesperson. So a little bit about us, you know, so we're funded by a group out of Singapore. Um, they uh, came to the U.S. to get involved in renewable energy, and they're, they're still in that field. Um, however, uh, John actually got us uh, teamed up with these guys. He used to be employed by them, and I don't really know how else to describe it other than they see us as Clint Eastwood and John Wayne, and they are tickled pink by, by anything we do, really. It's almost like, you know, they <laughs> laugh monkey, uh, dance monkey. I mean, it's, it's sometimes it kind of feels like that. So uh, the, the benefit there is that as a company is that they actually do not want to sell. And of all the investors we talked to, you know, that was looking to 10x their money, these were the first ones that weren't really interested in 10x in their money. They were interested in super long term, staying in it as long as possible, and seeing how big of a business we can possibly grow. Um, the other part of that is being the most innovative, innovative company we possibly can. Um, we have a setup to do granular fertilizer. Therefore, we are going to produce the absolute best granular fertilizer we possibly can, given our setup. Um, when this whole thing started, you know, I went to John. I said, uh, John, if you could ever get biochar into a prill, uh, we would really have something that we could work with. And, you know, three years later, he came back to me and he had it in a prill. And, you know, basically he said, if there's ever anything you need, uh, you know, you, you, build, you build the product I'll, I'll, you, you build the formula, I'll build the product. And so, uh, it's been, it's been a great relationship in that regard. It's, it's, uh, it's been, it's been a lot of fun to do business together. Um, being nimble and responding to feedback. We do not ever want to be in a position where we're getting feedback from customers and we immediately dismiss it as all bullshit and just move on. Another thing, I'm going to go ahead and caveat this right now. I use bad words. Uh, and if you if, if you do not enjoy bad words and I let a few slip and I'm, I'm going to try my best not to, uh, I apologize in advance. So being nimble, and what I mean by that is if we have an input that's causing issues or uh, we're having spreadability issues or people want a product uh, with a slight variation, you know, say they want uh, a methylene urea or uh, an MBPT urease inhibitor urea, you, be, being able to introduce that into the product really quickly and, uh, and, and make that change to the product line. And, and finally, the last thing is that we will never, ever consider using a filler. Uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, I, I, was, I was a lawn care guy for, for pretty much the majority of my, of, my, uh, of my career. Went to University of Tennessee, got out, started a golf economy tanked, and I got into lawn care and I never left. And one of the big things I just absolutely 
hated was being sold a whole bunch of fertilizer with a whole bunch of uh, filler in the bag. So I vowed that I would always use every microcosm of space in that bag to add value to the final product. You know, so when we were forming this whole thing, you can read this here. Uh, this is a whole bunch of just frou-frou shit we threw together to make it sound really fancy uh, when we were pitching to investors, you know, even LMX LLC, right? That became part of a joint venture, which is known as Carbon Earth now. But, I mean, listen to all these buzzwords, right? So, an environmentally responsible, results-driven, multi-nutrient fertilizer, disruptor, uh, proprietary mix, unprecedented nutrient delivery system, uh, high-value carbon, infused organic acid, store, stabilize, efficiently deliver, oxygen-rich, multi <laughs> We really put every buzzword we possibly could into it. But, you know, really what it came down to is the three pillars, sustainable, renewable, and effective. It was, you know, can we, for how long can we continue to manufacture this product? Um, Can we do it based on materials that are going to be readily available to us? And most important of all of it, is it going to fucking work? The part that we kind of left out is... Um, I'm an MPK guy. Uh, it, John, John's a business guy. <laughs> I'm an MPK guy. MPK is what grows grass. They're macronutrients. They're macronutrients for a reason. Nobody can ever convince me otherwise. Uh, I probably couldn't convince myself otherwise. I would always pro- base anything I did off of, okay, so what are the MPK values, right? That's where I begin. So, therefore, for our product line, that is where we are going to be- begin. Um. You know, we see the other things like, you know, Miramichi. How many people in here heard of Miramichi? Okay. Uh, American biochar, uh, which is a a fine product. They soak it in humic acid, and voila, you've got organic acid, humic acid, biochar. Biosolids, Anuvia, humic DG, all all these are fine. We don't see them as competition, really, right? Because they all kind of serve one purpose. They either supply just biochar or just a soil amendment, or they don't spread through a spreader, or uh, they just supply N and P, or uh, you're locked into just one formulation, or uh, you're locked into just humic. So instead of that, what we really wanted to, to capture and work on was uh, to go after a complete and total nutrient release system, so we're not just affecting nitrogen, but we're having an effect on nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Plus, kind of the crazy thing about all this, and this goes back to early days research, was biochar can be nuts, and you have to be very particular about how you use it. So I'll give you the example that, uh, John, very early into the research phase here, um, we were doing some uh, soil incorporation to plant some some poplars, some cotton, cottonwood poplars, and it was interesting at the at the four different uh, variable rates. There, well, one was a control, three different variable rates. Was the lowest rate actually did really well? It outgrew everything, right? And then the highest rate actually almost killed the freaking tree. Um, the whole, in fact, the whole line of trees were almost dead and were that way for at least a year before they finally came back. So biochar isn't something you just kind of go willy-nilly with. There's a whole bunch of uh, processing that needs to take prior to uh, widespread implementation as a final product. Um, and a, a little about this, you know, John Borden and myself, we are, we are not from the industry. Uh, we, we, we do not, did not come from manufacturing. Um, 
<laughs> John actually has kind of a sales background. Uh, I'm, I've been a spray jockey my entire life. We, we, don't, we don't know the intricacies. We don't know what you go through day in and day out. We just don't. Uh, I had a guy tell me one time when, when he kind of heard about our project that was coming together, he said, um, yeah, uh, Matt, I know where the body, if you ever need help, I know where the bodies are buried. Hell, I help dig the holes. I have no idea what that means, but I'll never forget him telling me that. And so I've always, I've always wondered, does anybody know where the fucking bodies are buried? I don't know where they are. <laughs> the other thing he said too was the you know fertilizer sales is a full contact sport. So, you know the way we look at it is that we can play full contact sports. We were both athletes at one time of our life back when we were cool, unmarried, and didn't have kids. But here we are now, and we do have one hell of a dream, and we have an agreement with one another. If I can dream it, John can build it. No matter whatever it takes, we'll get it done. So we're going to move into biochar, and I apologize probably for the next 30, 45 minutes. This is going to be insanely technical, and just uh, it, it's, it's probably not going to be interesting to anybody. However, if we can just get through the technical aspects of it, I think when you look at the final product, it'll make a hell of a lot more sense, right? Okay, so biochar, real simple, cellulosic material, uh, wood. You know, if you look at the chemical analysis of wood, C50H6O42, that would actually be hardwood uh, that has been burned slash heated. And when I say burned, meaning it's brought to an extremely high temperature without the presence of oxygen. When you remove oxygen, that means it's not going to ignite and catch on fire. If there's no oxygen, the cellulosic uh, material will actually release hydrocarbons. And like for the sake of our investors, what they do is that these hydrocarbons release, they capture them, and they either turn it into pretend diesel fuel or they use it as syngas to power uh, hydrogen generators. Um, but what's left over is this byproduct known as biochar, right? And it's this extremely porous structure. And it is loaded with fixed organic carbon. That's biochar, right? So uh, it's extremely high in surface area, which increases its ability to adsorb ions, both anions and cations. And we'll talk a little bit more here coming up about what exactly adsorption is versus absorption. And not only is it high surface area, you'll hear some people say this is like the quote-unquote coral reef of the soil, but I'll save all that bullshit for something else. So under a microscope, looks cool. Yeah, honeycomb patterns, all that neat kind of shape and stuff. Lots of porosity, lots of surface area there, right? Tons and tons of surface area. Okay, so adsorbative. Okay, absorption would be when you take a napkin and place it on a puddle of water. You know, it will draw it in. It will hold it on the inside. It will soak it up, right? Adsorption is like when you take a piece of printer paper and stick it on or a piece of notebook paper and set it on a, a puddle of water. It does a little, it's different. It actually changes the molecular structure of that paper. And what it does is that it actually bonds to the water. The water will bond to the paper. And the only way to remove it would be through dehydration, right? So uh, an, an evaporation. Another chemical process would be required to extract it. You know, yeah, you can squeeze it and probably get a little bit out, but then you've lost all your structure, and then you're dealing with a completely different solid than you were originally with that sheet of paper. Um. With this, and we think about, so a flat sheet of paper, right, has relatively low surface area compared to something like biochar that has, you know, miles and miles, hundreds of miles of surface area and a given gram of material. So, 
think about how much material with that surface area, how many bond sites are on a sheet of paper versus a gram of biochar. Something with that much surface area is going to have a hell of a lot more bonding sites. Therefore, uh, is much, much greater potential for adsorption to occur. And so when we're talking about this and we're going to ask you about, okay, so what's the difference between Miramichi biochar? What's the difference between American hardwood, American biochar? And then what's the difference between carbon earth company biochar is that one, we use single source mixed hardwood. Uh, and the, the reason being is that it's consistent, right? That's consistent. We can consistently guarantee 100% of the time we're going to be using mixed hardwood biochar. Constant temperature, the gasification system, or if we're doing, um, we also have a continuous process that would be through uh, external heat uh, that you know, we have the flexibility to go either lower temperature, like 650C, we can go high as 1,200C. However, for all intents and purposes of uh, fertilizer development, 650C is exactly where we want to be. Uh, this will provide us a balance of both cation exchange capacity as well as anion exchange capacity. And we'll get a little bit more into that here in a minute. Plus, then when we take that biochar, we age and co-compost it with poultry manure. And I'll explain a little bit about how we do that. So what we do, our process is... We are vertically integrated in the sense that we have biochar uh, production under our wing, and then we also own chicken farms too, right? So there's another player in this whole thing, Charlie Mann, Purdue farmer, chicken farmer turned banker, or banker turned farmer kind of thing. I don't know. He plays a real weird role, but needless to say, he's been pivotal through the whole thing. And what we do is uh, we began testing where we would remove a certain percentage of his bedding material and replace it with biochar. So as the chickens would piss and shit all over the biochar in the bedding material, um, it would adsorb it, right? So lots of ammonia, lots of urine, lots of urea, uh, lots of manure that gets adsorbed into the biochar. So you have this biochar that is loaded with all this organic material and additional ammoniacal or nitrate nitrogen too, right? So uh, that's, a, that's a very positive thing. That's a great, it has great agronomic value, right? So it'll spend eight weeks in the house there. We'll pull it out and then put it through another eight-week uh, compost session. So 16 weeks, it's ready for us to go. So anion exchange capacity, we think about uh, phosphorus, uh, sulfate ions is going to be a double negative, uh, nitrate, uh, which is going to be a single negative charge. Uh, even some of like boron is going to be negatively charged ion. Uh, molybdenum is going to be a negatively charged ion. And what that means is that it, because we do have an, a, a rated anion exchange capacity, you can see here from cellulosic material, um, you know, between 500 and 700, there is a recognized uh, uh, fresh biochar AEC. And then you age it, this particular test, it was aged with nitric oxide, which we, won't, we wouldn't actually do that in our process. We would age it with co-composting with organic material, right? So we get that organic coating that develops on it. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But an aging process, nonetheless, that cuts down on some of the adsorbative capacity, meaning we may lose some of the anion exchange capacity. But that's a good thing because we don't want it to be too high and pull all the NPS, uh, MO, or BO away from the plant. Cation exchange capacity, this is going to be on the flip side, right? So potassium ions, calcium ions, magnesium, uh, iron, manganese, zinc, right? 
Um, so it would be the ability to bond and hold on to these types of things. So here we are identified with hardwood, thanks to Mr. Gomez at Allen, 2011 of University of Maryland, Baltimore County, who is a biochemical and environmental engineer, uh, shows that we have a CEC of around 10 moles per kilogram. So pretty high CEC content. Again, not the highest, not the lowest. It's balanced. I'm a big believer in balance. So we've deduced that biochar has a holding capacity, right? So it's its, it's ability to, to hold on and store things. And, and we tested that. That's where we almost killed those trees, right? And why did we kill those trees? Because it was too much char. It was too much absorption, right? So year number two, we saw the monumental release. So that allowed us to deduce from that is that time or aging allows for release of adsorbed or the stored material. So the question becomes at that point, how do we speed it up? So co-composting with poultry manure, that's where this whole thing starts, right? Was, was uh, putting a level of predictability to that release of the biochar as it does actually adsorb material, right? So um, here, you know, this study actually showed it, uh, noted that uh, the co-composting considerably promoted biochar's positive effects, largely, largely by nitrate, nutrient capture and delivery. The full factorial growth study with uh, quinoa biomass yield increased up to 305% in a sandy, poor soil. So, you know, obviously... Um, uh, biomass may not necessarily be the most important part of the puzzle when it comes to growing grass. However, it is uh, an important part. So what that tells me is that if we're increasing biomass by 305%, that means we are stimulating something. Something is taking place out of the ordinary compared to an NPK program, which this study actually compared it against, right? The control was an NPK program plus versus an NPK program with a biochar co-composted with a manure. So if we look at it, this is after the composting process. Uh, this is what the biochar looks like, and this is what has bonded to it, right? So we've got our different ions there on the on the heat map uh, there's going to be anions and cations right so uh, you can see a little bit of everything has been stored and bonded to that biochar um, and like I said it was uh, an MPK test that was that was done you know we're an MPK company first so of course that has to be tested against MPK right so this was the program on the quinoa, right? So anywhere between 11 and 73 days after sowing uh, we ran a, a low end input so um, you know, that would be 28 kilograms per hectare all the way up to 140 kilograms per hectare per hectare. So, you know, somewhere around like 20 to 25 uh, pounds of nitrogen per um, um, per acre all the way up to uh, that'd be like 120 pounds of nitrogen per acre. And as far as the fertilizer that was used, it was foliar and, uh, you know, it was in a 4-4-3 ratio. So that would be based on nutrient removal of quinoa from the soil, right? So these are kind of the first things that were noticed 24, 48 hours after application. Uh, it, 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 a slight increase in water holding capacity, just enough to be statistically significant. Um, we can see here the amount of nitrate and ammonium loss was extremely reduced with uh, not just uh, pure biochars with no compost, but uh, uh, biochar co-composted. 
Uh, so that really kind of gave us a, a big, big indicator there, the fact that we were reducing leaching of both ammonium and nitrate. And then uh, this is kind of the big thing, right, which was how much nitrogen actually made it into the leaf. And so with the uh, co-composted biochar, uh, we can see significant gains in the amount of leaf nitrogen that occurs. Significant gains. Why that is is speculated that it has to do a little bit with um, uh, the biochar being able to capture it. And then what is not used by the plant is released and then uh, is captured again. And then uh, as the plant uh, is looking for more in, and so it kind of keeps a steady supply of bonding and letting go, bonding and letting go, bonding and letting go, bonding and letting go, creating this enhanced efficiency effect. And so it all comes down, why exactly is it doing this? And so it was identified through, um, you know, those electron spectrometer microscope kind of deals that the biochar actually developed an organic coating on it. And it's that organic coating on it explained the nutrient retention and the stimulation of the soil fertility. So this gets extremely technical here, but bear with me as we go through this. So the co-composting, it showed that co-composted biochar slowly released organic nitrogen in addition to low amounts of ammonium and dominantly nitrate. They also showed an exponential rise to maximum correlation of the release of nitrate to the release of dissolved organic carbon with R2 values greater than basically 1. Then argue for a mechanistic physiochemical relationship between nitrate and dissolved organic carbon. So there's something with the relationship there that allows for um, uh, a, a release and capture, release and capture. Uh, the organic coating on composted biochar particles have been proposed previously. It might serve as an additional reservoir for nitrate. So I talk about the CRAP technology. This uh, is CERP technology, so carbon release root promoting. This is a homogenized combination of MPK biochar composted with pulse manure and a biostimulant. This is the backbone of everything we do. Everything we do is going to have a certain percentage of this material in it. So a homogenized MPK biochar co-composted with poultry manure and a biostimulant. Originally, we used humic and kelp, and that was because of the Virginia Tech biostimulant uh, bio study that I showed down here uh, that shows we actually could increase root mass through the synergistic effect of applying seaweed in combination with humic acid. And that was something like 15 grams per 1,000 square feet to 5 grams per 1,000 square feet of seaweed, something like that, of a 3 to 1 uh, ratio of humic acid to kelp showed that much root mass increase. And what's interesting is that actually humic acid from peat-derived sources uh, far uh, out, well, were statistically greater in performance than were uh, um, a brown coal-derived humic which would be material that comes out of Mesa Verde, which basically supplies everybody, Mesa Verde, New Mexico area. However, uh, there was a study done by a Japanese researcher. They were looking into um, a, a peptide that was actually derived through... Um, uh, they, were, they were analyzing... Uh, protease enzymes reacting with soybean meal. 
And what what they discovered was that the protease enzyme would actually break down the proteins in soybean meal into smaller amino acid chains that are called peptides. And so they took these peptides and they exposed them to plants, and what they saw was absolutely freaking incredible. This was back in 2011. And what they saw, so they compared, uh, you know, like, like this, this peptide and how it affected root hairs. They compared it to ethylene. So ethylene is the hormone that is known for root hair production. And they saw a 1,660% increase in root hair surface area. That is freaking massive. So we'll show here. Um, this would be degraded soybean meal products. If you go back and look at that is actually an enzymatic extracted enzymatic hydrolysis, hydrolysis extracted peptide, which is uh, the product that we actually use. Um, and you can see, I mean, it almost looks like it's been infected with mycorrhizae at some point. Uh, even if you look at the bottom here, uh, part C, you can see that over application of ethylene, uh, shows that it actually altered the growth structure of the root almost negatively by that point. And you did have a fair amount of hair production, but it wasn't even comparable to uh, that of um, the uh, peptides. So what we did is I kind of went on a tear. I was going all over the place and uh, finally found that there is one manufacturer in the United States that just built their facility um, and just, just opened it. Actually, they really just started selling material earlier this earlier this year. So we went and toured their manufacturing facility, and I have to say it is one of the most unbelievable places I've ever seen. It's clean enough to eat off the floor, and I just, you know, you look at that, and then you think about your plant, and you're like, golly, that's a, when I grow up, I want to be like these guys. These guys got it. Um, but they are the largest organic fertilizer company globally. Uh, not just in the United States, but on a, on a very global scale, bigger than bigger than Scotts is. Uh, and so, you know, of course, they have the technology, they have the resources to be able to build this kind of facility here in the United States. So we actually worked with them on a couple of products I'm not of liberty to talk about um, that went into uh, went into row crop and uh, a whole different kind of subsect of things that we were doing there. However, as I caught wind of what they were actually doing with, uh, with um, the results they were getting with these peptides, that kind of I got the idea, like, well, can we put it on turf? And they were like, yeah, absolutely, you could put it on turf. Um, and <laughs> a, little, a little time with the, with the Google machine here, and you could, I found that uh, Harold's actually already labels this product under their Biomax line as Amino Pro-V. So this kind of video here will show over a given period of time how the two different root systems uh, respond to a control. As of course, is going to be hydroponically grown. looks like tomatoes. Uh, 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 so the, the control versus just the Amino Pro-V, right? So um, it has a slight nitrogen load to it. It's about 5% nitrogen. However, it is not... Uh, a great nitrogen source. Well, it could be in a sense, but it's not a perfect nitrogen source. It's not a predictable nitrogen source. How, how about let, let me let me phrase it like that? Because it is an immediately available nitrogen. Because if you think about how how plant and plant tissue is going to store nitrogen, right? It's going to store it as either nucleic acid or as uh, protein, as um, amino acids. Um, and so this is already in a form that was stored in a plant as an amino acid. 
And so it's, you know, basically you're just taking something that already occurred in the plant and then applying it to a plant. So a plant already knows what to do with it. Now, the caveat is that, you know, how do you compare this to other um, other amino acid products out there, right? So a lot of amino acid products that are currently out there are produced through reacting uh, either animal proteins or plant-based proteins in an acid-base extraction. So how many people know how to make uh, humic acid here? Basically, what you do is you take linerdite, your source material, you put it into a bath of potassium hydroxide, and that reaction of the potassium hydroxide with the linerdite creates this uh, this new molecule, right? These oxygen uh, these oxygen chains bond to uh, uh, the linerdite particles, which forms this organic acid known as humic acid and fulvic acid and ulmic acid, depending on what size particle you're talking about. And so that's what they were doing with the proteins to try and draw out amino acids because the, the potassium hydroxide or sulfuric acid would degrade or begin to digest part of the proteins. And then you were able to solubilize certain amino acids based on the structure and pull them out in solution, right? The problem is, is that by doing that, by using caustic materials like that, you cannot predict what you're going to get out. And typically, you're limited to only three or four different specific amino acids that you're going to be able to pull with any kind of concentration because they're going to be the ones that are only that are tolerant of things like sulfuric acid or potassium hydroxide. So the advantage here with these peptides is that it is 100% repeatable because it is an enzyme that digests the proteins and it digests it into a very specific size, which is this root hair promoting peptide. I didn't make up the name. The university in Japan that discovered it made up the name, root hair promoting peptide. We just coined it crap technology. So here are our products. These were the first three flagship products we put out. We put out Carbon X, which is now going to become Carbon X X Pro. And what X Pro is, is uh, this is going to be our 2404. So we make in house this 818 product with 4% iron, all this fun stuff. Uh, this is just a really yeah, great, great product right here, and we'll show you some side-by-sides against ammonium sulfate, what that did, and um, especially during a, during a, a grow-in, it was pretty pretty significant what it did, and let me save this, all right, let me go back here, okay, and, uh, and so we blend this 50-50, we actually have a new nitrogen source, and as much as I hate to do it, um, in order to get the prill size down to where we want it and with stability, we actually are coating it with a, uh, a DCD and MBPT, uh, MBTP in butylthiophosphoric acid. So like a Uflex basically would be the coating that would go on it. And I would never, you'll never hear at least out of my mouth, well, I'd be talking about this being a stabilized urea that's in here. It's just kind of an extra kicker in the bag. And truthfully, what this really does is this kind of allows us to open up to the Florida market uh, because, you know, at least 50% of the nitrogen in the bag has to be uh, uh, enhanced efficiency, right? So that was kind of why we had to do it. And then the other part, too, is that we can actually bring down the overall prill size. So we have this now at about a 210 SGN, whereas previously it was about a 300 SGN when we were using Yara Vera Amidas as our nitrogen source. And I liked Yara Vera. Don't get me wrong, I did. But 
it became a pain in my ass. It was so dirty all the time and just absolutely was a nightmare. So, um, basically what we did is, you know, we just kind of upped the ammonium sulfate level, then blended in the urea, and we've got X-Pro. Now, the beauty of this and the beauty with our manufacturing process is that we have the ability to infuse liquids, and I'm not talking about sparging or putting a coating on the outside of a fertilizer prill. I'm actually talking about infusing. And so when I say infusing is that when we start agglomeration, we are actually building a prill that takes a fluid, that takes a liquid, and typically that's a binder like uh, calcium lignosulfonate, for instance. Well, instead of using like a calcium lignosulfonate or a traditional binder like that, uh, we use things like soy protein hydrolysate. Uh, or an uh, enzymatic hydrolysis extracted peptide. So, you know, we went to that, that company and we could see that, okay, you know, in, in basically we could, we could include this in our product at about, uh, uh, you know, we could put it in at um, a half an ounce per pound or we could put it in at a quarter of an ounce per pound. And, you know, that would give us 24, 48, uh, 24, 48, ounces that end up going out, uh, 24, 32 ounces that are going out over an acre when you're dealing with a material that you're putting down 125 pounds an acre. So uh, it gave us some flexibility to do that. And because the peptides are actually just as uh, active when taken up by the root system as they are foliarly, we thought, man, this would be a great start. Plus it allows us to get away from humic acid and kelp, which was uh, the other part of the story was we wanted to get away from that because there was so much inconsistent data. It had to be timed absolutely perfectly. And uh, a lot of people that are using our fertilizer aren't doing things perfectly. So this was kind of our answer to it, be, to be able to put a product in there. Then what that actually does to our product is that that opens us up to focus on uh, the soil, soil health, soil tilth. It allows us to focus on the health of the plant with the MPK, and it allows us to focus on the root system with a product that is primarily designed to impact root systems. So that product is a blend with 818. Of course, we have the 818 X-Green. Now, what we do with the X-Green is we typically market this product only as a greens-grade product, and I will tell you why. What we noticed in testing was that the smaller the prill we had, the faster we could get it to release. So if we were running this for at a, at a standard size, you know, 200, 210 SGN, um, it may take three weeks before it really begins to do anything in terms of color response. However, if we took that particle size down to about 90 SGN, so really, really greens grade, right, then we were somewhere in that 10-day range when we were starting to see results. So you know, 21 to 10 days in terms of visual results, we're like, well, that's a win. Let's just try and market it as a greens grade product all the way around. So that was exactly what we did. And that's why we do it the way we do it with that product. Um, and then X-Start, X-Start is basically the same thing. We manufacture the 818. However, in our hopper that we normally introduce iron into the mix, we replace it with zinc. So that allows us to infuse zinc. And then what we were using was um, we were using a fulvic acid came came out of uh, came out of uh, Canada, but again we're trying to get away from um, uh, from alchemy, uh, hopeful alchemy, as someone once put it to me, and 
and use actual uh, products that have you know turf PhDs behind them promoting them, like root hair promoting peptides. Um, as far as what we have coming up, this is going to be the latest developments in our crap technology here. Uh, StressX is going to be one coming up, just because I don't know about you guys, but typically when I look at soil tests, there are a lot that are just completely trashed on potash. <laughs> I mean, we're talking, we're talking like 10, 15 parts per million of potash. And before we even go down the whole road of the MLSN and that whole method to, to managing turf, nothing wrong with it by any means. However, if you tell a lawn care operator that he has to base his business off of MLSN, he will go out of business before too long because you are going to ask that applicator to redefine what he considers good-looking turf and to lower his expectations. So a lot of these guys, because they are going to overdo everything to keep up with the Joneses or exceed the Joneses, that's why you know a product like this may actually be needed. So instead of doing like a 10% iron with oxysulfate, uh, we did a little bit with iron oxide that actually comes from a mineral we derive from a mine. It has a little bit of silica in it too uh, from up in Pennsylvania. Um, and it does have a little oxide iron in it. So long-term iron, right? Not anything short-term. And you know, if you apply it with some, with some ammonium sulfate in a, high pH, in a low pH solution, you might be able to get some of that to do something. But really, for the, for the most part, probably not. Uh, but it does have ferrous sulfate in it that is going to be homogenized with the ammonium sulfate. Therefore, you could probably get a little bit of a kick there temporarily. Uh, and, of course, the uh, potash is derived from sulfate of potash. So it's a relatively expensive product. But for those people that are super nerding out about their soil tests and they need to get their K levels up, this would be a good product for them. And then the newest of the crap technology line we have is X-Soil, right? And so this is purely a soil amendment. There's no analysis. This composted pulse manure has been composted for an extreme amount of time. And basically we turned it into, um, we added some additional biochar during the composting process and then granulated it, right? So we thought, the purely soil amendment, no real, um, no real uh, um, analysis, and you know we could formulate this with the same uh, enzymatic hydrolysis derived peptide, and you know we'd have you know a good soil amendment on our hand, and so that's what we did. And we call it X soil. It's compost bulk manure, carbon derived from biochar, and the peptides that we put in. So as far as what customers are saying, this is when we were using humic and kelp. Um, you know, these are some results through the summer. On the right here, we've got St. Augustine. Uh, this is about 10 days after application of the X green on St. Augustine. And on the left, uh, that is going to be tall fescue. On the right is tall fescue. On the left is tall fescue. On the left is tall fescue. On the right is tall fescue. On the left is tall fescue. On the right is tall fescue. And here's a little note from the customer who said, uh, you know, I threw down a full rate of 818. He called it carbonates. That's X green, one strike for you, sir. Uh, Matt sent me two weeks ago on this. This lawn I struggled with a bit for the last year. It was originally stone. Customer had it removed, and the contractor laid about one inch of topsoil down for they installed the sod. The clay underneath was rock solid from the compaction of the stone. Customer sends me these pictures today telling me I need to take a professional picture of his lawn and use it for my business cards. He was so pumped. I know a lot of people have been asking about the Carbon X, and all I can say is that it is an amazing product. I'll dig through my photos and see if I can find a before pick from last season. So, you know, pretty pretty good information there. And then here's one with Carbon X that was put down uh, in the heat of summer. Um, so uh, under an excessive heat dome, the lawn on the right chose to have Carbon X dropped on it almost eight weeks ago. Quite the product. 
Jeff Jones is a, a guy who uh, actually works with us. I really appreciate the Carbon X you got me. Thank you very much. It truly is held up in the heat, as I was told. Amazing. So um, that's, you know, I, I, does that have to do with the water holding capacity? I don't know. I'm not going to make that claim. But, you know, as you can see from the results here, it is doing well. And, uh, you know, this obviously has not had rain, been through a drought. Uh, and then on the right here, Dan Leister. He's a good guy up in Pennsylvania. And 10 days after his X green, 125 pounds an acre. So just three pounds per thousand, you know, quarter pound in. You can see, I mean, he's he's getting you know, really good results here. Uh, these are some before, before and afters up in the Piedmont area in Virginia. So this is just absolutely terrible soil to work with. I mean, there's just, it's it's incredibly high in magnesium, incredibly low pH, just the tightest soil you, you could ever imagine. Uh, this was put down in, in, in spring as it was transitioning. You see there's a fair amount of Bermuda grass in there, and uh, it just exploded right through the Bermuda grass and, and everything the fescue did. So, um, you know, loving, loving the, the carbon X that was applied. Um, this was some work we did with sports turf and golf here. Um, they were actually using it as uh, a way to um, a way to combat localized dry spot, and so put it put down the eight one eight as a granular across these and irrigated it in. Uh, as you can see, kind of a before and after there on uh, a tiff eagle green, and then also an, an outfield Bermuda grass uh, in the open. So did did pretty good there as well. Um, in product defense, and I'm going to raise my hand. Does anybody want to hear me talk about this? Do you want to hear me talk about how I would defend the product against Miramichi or Anuvia or Healthy Grow? Because I can. I, d I definitely can. I, I mean, I've, I've been doing this a long time. Screaming Green, Earthworks, any of that? No? Good. I don't really want to talk about it either. So I guess this really comes down to my number one question here is I want to know what are your fears, concerns, barriers of your customers, and even you as a person, what is your barrier to actually wanting to sell this product versus just carry this product? Uh, what would be impeding you from not selling this? And I'll kind of give you some uh, some examples here. You know, golf, uh, you know, just real simple, low-hanging fruit. People that want to apply compost to rough height cuts. Um, with any of our products, you're going to have a very active carbon source with compost, poultry manure enhanced, and co-composted with, with biochar uh, that you're actually implying with, uh, applying in tandem with MPK. So there's going to be huge labor savings, uh, logistics and uh, just the amount of money you would save on that alone would pay for the fertilizer. Uh, for sports, and I stole this exactly from Ryan DeMay. He quoted me. He said, get dickheads like me to spec it in their bids, and no one can touch it. No one else can provide sell an equal product. So by default, Green Velvet wins. There you go. <laughs> Ryan DeMay sticking up for you. Bless him. Uh, for lawn care operators, this is a lot of what I see LCOs face. Okay, so LCOs are facing the majority of pushback from uh, the environmental people in residential neighborhoods. Huge pushback. If you think the golf guys get it hard, LCOs get it 10x because they're dealing with the crazies out there you know, in a very day-to-day -day operation, right? So they may treat... 20 yards in a week, they may, I mean, 20 yards in a day, they may treat 100 yards in a week. Out of 100 houses, how many crazy people are out there? A shitload, a metric shitload, to say the least. 
So these guys are the ones that are getting down and dirty with everybody. And so what they're looking for is a product that they can market as being more sustainable, more environmental friendly. And what they're doing is that they're they're beginning to look for items that they can add to their program to give them this message of hippiedom. And I, and I say that with love, you know, but they are looking to be able to have a product that can focus on soil and that way they can feel better about conserving, you know, nitrogen runoff or, or nitrate leaching or um, any of the, the potential things that, that, that come with using uh, potential negative connotations that come with using a conventional fertilizer, whether it's accurate or not isn't necessarily the point. The point is, is that they have to defend themselves. And the only way they're going to know how to defend themselves is if they have a product that's touted as being able to stand up to the people that actually talk that way. And me personally, I mean, that's kind of my favorite thing to do is I love to go pick fights with those people and have those deep seated, angry conversations with them about how illogical they actually are about what they understand about turfgrass management. I digress. I'm going way off topic there. But LCOs are actively seeking a product that they can do more with. And especially the more guys that are using ride-on spreaders and sprayers, they don't want to have humic acid liquid in their tank and then have to carry a granular and then spread and then spray and then mix potentially an herbicide on top of their humic acid. And we all know what organic acids, when tank mixed with herbicides, do reduced efficacy. So it's a big risk. And then they catch themselves having to do it anyway because they've had to pull a book backpack on 16 out of 20 yards they sprayed that day. And out of those 16 yards, they ended up spraying 16 gallons of liquid out of a backpack. And that took a shitload of time and they ended up losing money on the day or not really making as much money as they wanted to. Or they had to work till 8 o'clock at night in order to make their twelve thirteen hundred dollars $1,300 on the day. So... It can all be condensed down into a single application that is going to provide exactly what they're looking for. A soil component, a plant health component, and a root health component. All in one single application in a dry product that can spread out of their machine and save their tank space to do their spot spraying of their weed controls. So now, again, I'm going to ask this. Why can you not sell this product what is your barrier? What is your fear? What is your concern between you and your customer? And let's get down and dirty and figure out some real solutions on how to tackle that as an issue.